Welcome everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. Shall we open in a word of prayer? Father God, we thank you that you move heaven and earth to reveal yourself to us. You've been in the business of doing it ever since you created human beings. And so we know that it's not a big deal for you to speak to us today, to um, open up our minds and our hearts uh, to the scriptures. And we pray that you would do exactly that. So we invite you, come and, come and speak to us. Come Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we continue on the second or the third part, I can't remember exactly, of, of our epic themes from God's story. And today we're going to be talking about the gospel. The word gospel, euangelion in the Greek, is a key biblical word because it's packed with meaning and it's also mentioned frequently in the Bible, no less than 76 times in the New Testament. In fact, three of the apostles, Matthew, Mark, John, and a Gentile doctor called Luke, all wrote separate accounts of Jesus' life and ministry and his teachings, and those accounts are referred to as the Gospels. The Gospel of Mark has a very portentous start under the heading in most translations of Jesus begins his ministry. And it sounds really weighty because immediately it begs the question, well, what is this ministry going to look like? What's he going to do? What's going to be at the heart of his ministry? And so let's look at it in Mark chapter 1 verse 14. And I'm sure in your Bible it'll have that heading the start of Jesus's ministry. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And it seems, folks, just to put it mildly, that the gospel, whatever it is, is incredibly important. First of all, the, thing that, the first thing that we note here is that it's the gospel of God. It's the gospel of God, which means that it comes from God. It is divinely inspired, but it's also about God. The second thing is that Jesus' ministry involved him in preaching the gospel. And the third thing is that it requires a very radical response from those who hear the gospel. These are not weak words, repent and believe. That word repent means literally, if you're going in this direction, turn 180 degrees and go in that direction. It means that if you're doing this, stop it and do that instead. And then at the end of Mark's gospel, just before he was taken up into heaven, Mark notes that Jesus commanded his disciples to continue his ministry. So Jesus' ministry didn't come to an end, his ministry of proclaiming the gospel. And Mark makes it very clear to us that his ministry was to carry on with his disciples and what was going to be at the heart of their ministry. Verse 15 from Mark 16, Jesus said, Go into all the world and, here it comes, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, if, as we've discovered, 
the gospel is at the heart of Jesus' ministry, if it's meant to be at the heart of our ministry that we are continuing on Jesus' behalf, then we need to understand what this gospel is. And that's what today's sermon is all about. We're going to start off with the meaning of the gospel, and then we're going to have a look at several characteristics of the gospel. First of all, the meaning. The Greek word euangelion means literally joy news. That's why it's so often translated in the Bible as the good news. It's the kind of news that brings joy. It puts joy in our hearts. And the word was chosen by Jesus and the early church because at the time in Greek literature, it had a very specific meaning. And here it is. A gospel was news of an objective, history-changing event that altered everyone's situation and that everyone needed to respond to. I'm going to say it again. It was news of an objective, history-changing event that altered everyone's situation and that everyone needed to respond to. So, for example, um, at the time when Jesus was on earth, there was this historic document written in Greek, and it goes like this. This is the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. And it was the declaration that Augustus had ascended the throne. It was an objective, life-changing, historical event. Why? Because the Roman Empire controlled the entire known world and the emperor controlled the Roman Empire. You could say, well, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. He's not my emperor. But the reality was, he was your emperor and you had to deal with it. Historical, life-changing event. Another example of this. In uh, BC 490, the Battle of Marathon. Let me give you a little bit of backstory here. The Persians had come down into Greece, massive, well-equipped army to defeat the Greeks, and they were marching on Athens. So a much smaller Greek army marched out to engage them in battle on the plains of Marathon. But nobody expected this Greek army to win because they were poorly equipped. Many of the soldiers were not soldiers at all. They were just artisans and farmers. They didn't even have proper weapons. Much to everybody's surprise, the Greeks defeated the Persians at the Battle of Marathon. And at that point, it was critical to send the gospel, the joy news to Athens in order to prevent panic and mass evacuation of the city and people taking advantage of that with looting and so on. So what they did was they chose a single man who could run really well. And he ran 22 and a half miles from Marathon to Athens. And that's where the distance of the modern day Marathon comes from today. Can you imagine? It was said two and a half thousand years ago. And when he arrived in Athens, he staggered through the gates and he fell to his knees and he shouted out, Rejoice! We have triumphed. The gospel, the joy news, rejoice! We have triumphed. And then as the story goes, the poor fellow dropped dead from exhaustion. So when Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, he is commanding us to spread the news of an objective, 
history-changing an event that has transformed everybody's situation and that everybody needs to respond to. What is it? What is that event? <clears throat> it is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the gospel is, is more than simply the news of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It is the explanation of how this event is good news. Why is it good news? It's because it fulfills God's promises of blessing and salvation to Israel and through Israel to the rest of us, to the rest of mankind. So let's move on now to the promise of the gospel and we'll attend to what is the promise. Remember how Adam and Eve had messed things up by rebelling against God in the Garden of Eden. And that news obviously was the opposite of the gospel. That was the bad news. There was nothing to be joyful about because when we think of all the heartache and suffering that has emanated over the centuries from that event. But fortunately for humankind, as we discussed when I last preached, God started this process of cleaning things up and he did it by calling a man called Abram. At that stage, his name hadn't been changed. And Abram was in a very comfortable position. He was uh, ensconced with his family and his possessions in a place called Haran. Let's take up the story in Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. You can see the comfort of his situation there. God is interrupting that. And go to the land. And God doesn't tell him where the land is or what land it is. He just says, Go to the land that I will show you. <laughs> How would you like to be in that situation? But then he starts making promises to Abram. And he says, I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. You see the promise there. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And God wouldn't let that promise go. He repeated that promise to Abram on another two occasions at key points in his life. You can find that in Genesis 18:18 18, 18, if you want to note it down, and Genesis 22:18. Now, <clears throat> just a question. Do you belong to one of the families on earth? Of course, you do. We all do. So this promise sounds like joy news. This promise that all the families of the earth, you potentially, could be blessed by God through what he's done in Abraham and his descendants. And Paul certainly referred to it as good news. Just take a look at Galatians 3 verses 8 and 9. He says, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, we're, we're Gentiles, preached the gospel. He's referring to something, this promise that was made uh, four and a half thousand years ago as being the gospel. He preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. 
Such an interesting way of putting it, isn't it? The scripture, in this case Genesis, was preaching the gospel beforehand to Abraham when it said, gave that promise, in you shall all the nations be blessed. I wonder what that, I wonder what that blessing could be. Well, just consider the context. Every family on earth has lost its right standing and hence its relationship with God. Can you imagine somebody that you love and respect? Um, maybe it's a spouse or a, a work colleague or a friend, someone you really want to be in relationship with, have a good relationship with, but you've done something to offend them. You've been sinful. You've done something to hurt them. And the relationship has broken down. And that relationship needs to be put right. In a sense, you need to be justified. You need to be set right with that person. And that's what happened between us, mankind, and God. And so it would be a blessing, wouldn't it, for that right standing to be restored. After all, who wouldn't want to be restored to a right standing with God, our Creator, who loves us, our Father, who is in heaven? And this is exactly what Scripture foresaw, namely that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Can you see that in verse 8? And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. That means that God was looking forward to an event which would enable Him to put us into right standing with Him once again. Why was it by faith? Well, if God promises you something, you have to receive that promise by faith. Because until it's delivered, it isn't a certainty. So the gospel, the gospel is in essence a promise. A promise of blessing. Primarily the blessing of salvation. A promise made about 4,200 years ago when God kicked off his epic rescue plan to restore us into right relationship with himself. But how, how would this promise be fulfilled? Let's think about that for a moment. Well, we've already learned that Jesus preached the gospel. We learned that from Mark 1 verse 14. That's the verse we looked at right at the start of the preach. But he also saw himself, Jesus saw himself, as the fulfillment of the gospel. How do we know this? Well, there's this beautiful expression of the gospel in Isaiah 61. Isaiah, with the help of the Holy Spirit, is looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, someone called the Suffering Servant. And this is what the Suffering Servant declares. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Good news, joy news, gospel. Now, one day Jesus went to Nazareth, this little village where he had been brought up. Let's take up the story in Luke 4:16. As was his custom, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then he read that prophecy that I've just read to you. 
And at the end of it, he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus saw himself as the fulfillment of the gospel. So, the gospel is the good news that God, in Christ Jesus, will fulfill his promises to Israel, opening up a way of salvation, not only to Jews, but to Gentiles as well. And that is the promise of the gospel. Let's move on now to another characteristic of the gospel, and that is its priority, the priority of the gospel. And what we're going to do for the next few points is have a look at a, a passage from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 6. So please, if you could turn there, and I'm just going to read it to you, and then we'll, we'll use this to have a look at the priority of the gospel and some other characteristics as well. So let me read. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, referring to his conversion experience on the road to Damascus. Let's have a look at this passage. The heart of the gospel message is there. Just read it in verse 3. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That is the heart of the gospel message. But notice that the gospel is a divine message. Why would I say that? Because at the start of verse, or in the first part of verse 3, Paul says, I received the gospel message. So it's divine because he received it from God. And that's what makes it so important. And then Paul delivered it to the Corinthians. You can see there in verse 3, as of first importance. Do you see the priority there of the gospel? It's not just important. It is of first importance, the priority of the gospel. And there's more evidence for the priority and the importance of the gospel in this passage. First of all, Number one, it is the gospel, verse two, in which you stand. It's the gospel that makes you stand. And then it is also the gospel in which we are being saved. Verse one. So the gospel is of absolute importance. It is of, it's a priority. And because it's a promise, remember that we need to accept it by faith. But the gospel is not without proof because you might say to me well you know it's very hard to accept something by faith unless there's some sort of a basis for that faith so let's consider now the proof of the gospel 
People saw Jesus once he had been resurrected. This was no fairy story. And not just a few. Paul mentions here that more than 500 people had seen Jesus as a resurrected human being. And at the time, he says, most of them were still alive. In other words, what he's saying here, if you read between the lines, is if you want to go and check, there are more than enough people around that you go and check with. And some of them have fallen asleep, yes, some of them have died, but most of them are still alive. But maybe you're saying, well, you know, seeing him from a distance is one thing. Maybe it was some sort of doppelganger that they saw, some sort of look-alike. But listen to this. It comes from Luke chapter 1, verse 3. Jesus presented himself alive to the apostles after his suffering by many proofs. Now here it comes. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. You know, Thomas actually touched him. These were guys who had lived with him on a very close intimate basis for three years. They saw him. They believed because they saw they had proof. So we've had a look at the promise of the gospel, the priority of the gospel, the proof of the gospel. Let's have a look at something that I'm very excited about, which is the power of the gospel. And this is what Paul has to say on the subject. He says, for I, this comes from Romans 1 verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So just have a look at that verse. It'll be on your screen and consider the following elements. Number one, it is bold. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We can be bold in the proclamation of the gospel. Number two, it's a gospel that saves. It is the power of God for salvation. And then thirdly, it is universal. It's for the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, referring to Gentile people. But what strikes me most in this verse is that it is powerful. In fact, it's not just powerful. It is the power of God. But before we move on from that, I'd like us just to reflect a little bit on two points. The power of God the power of God becomes effective in the gospel. In other words, we activate it, we engage it through faith. What does Paul say here? The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In other words, we need to believe the promise. Second thing is that the power may be made effective in the gospel only once the gospel has been heard. I'd like to read from Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Isn't that so key? How are they to hear without someone preaching? You can see why our mission is to proclaim the gospel. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That's a quotation from a prophecy in Isaiah. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed 
what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And that's why God and Jesus commanded us to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And folks, we are to proclaim the gospel by action. Obviously, the gospel shapes the way that we live and people can see that. But we must also proclaim it with words as well so that people can hear and that faith can rise up in their hearts so that they put their faith and their trust in Jesus. So the promise, the priority, the proof. Um, notice that I've got them all starting with P just to help you. I'm such a nice guy. Lastly, the power. The promise, the priority, the proof, the power. Last of all, the purity. The gospel message is that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But ever since the get-go, this is so important, ever since the get-go, humans have been trying to add to the gospel message. There's been a big plus sign, and that plus sign mustn't be there. So at the time of Paul, there were these um, Christians going around who were also Jews, and they said, oh yes, a person is saved by grace, in faith, by, by, you know, by, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but they also need to become a Jew in order to be saved. So they have to be circumcised and they have to obey the Sabbath. They have to do X, Y, and Z. So it was the gospel plus something else. There were people at the time called Gnostics. They said a person was saved by grace through faith in Christ plus by gaining special knowledge that will enable them to be saved. Today, in our day and age, the, the Seventh-day Adventist church, some of the people who go to that church will say that you're saved by grace through faith in Christ plus observing the Sabbath on a Saturday. And so if you persistently worship on a Sunday, you're being disobedient to God and there's a very good chance that if you die, you're not going to go to heaven. It's salvation through the gospel plus something else. You know, folks, there are even those who are afraid that if they get vaccinated for COVID, that somehow that will disqualify them from their salvation. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus not getting vaccinated. Can you see the equation that I'm talking about here? And Paul refers to all of these gospel plus gospel as different gospels in Galatians 1. He says in verse 6, I'm astonished writing to these, people, these Christians in Galatia. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But if, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Folks, I often think of the thief on the cross. There he was. There were three crosses planted in the ground. Jesus was in the middle and there were two thieves, one on either side. And that thief 
Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. He made a promise to that thief. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. And the amazing thing is that up to that point in time, that thief had done nothing to commend himself to God. He hadn't believed. He hadn't been baptized. He didn't study the scriptures. He didn't go to synagogue. He hadn't, all sorts of things that he hadn't done. And yet, Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And so I often wonder, don't you wonder this? I can't wait to chat to this guy just to, to figure out how it worked out when he got to heaven. And some angel comes up to him and says, why are you here? And the thief says, I don't know. And the angel says, well, what do you mean you don't know? And the thief says, well, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I'm here. And so what's the angel going to do? Is the angel going to let him in? He's like, oh, I don't know. Let me just go and chat to my supervisor. He goes off to his supervisor. The supervisor comes and he says to the, to the guy, do you understand the theology of justification by grace? Huh? The thief doesn't understand the theology of the justification by grace. And so once again, the, the question is repeated. Why are you here? And the thief says, the reason why I'm here is because the man on the middle cross said that I could come. And folks, that's the essence of the gospel. The man on the middle cross gave me a promise. And that's the promise that he's holding out to you today. If, if you're still searching or you're not sure, he's holding out this promise. Jesus on the cross. And he says, you could be with me in paradise. And then all you would need to say when you get to heaven is, the man on the middle cross said that I could come. And I wonder how you would want to respond to that promise today. And we're going to have a, a moment of silence just now, just so that you can, you can decide whether you're going to respond to that promise or not, whether you believe it or not. Maybe you're at that point where you, you're still not sure. You're not sure whether you believe it. I would just encourage you to keep pressing on. Keep pressing on until you find out. And then there, there, there are others of us who have understood this message. Today has just been a celebration of the gospel for us. But I would just challenge you. Never forget. Never forget that our primary purpose in life, our priority purpose, is to proclaim the gospel through the way that we live and through our word. We also need to explain the gospel to, to people when we get the opportunity. So spend some time just thinking about the different areas of your life. Are the implications of the gospel working themselves out in the way that you live? Are you proclaiming the gospel through your actions? And then also ask the Lord God. And we need to do this on a daily basis. Father God, who is it that you want me to preach the gospel to today? Who is it that you want me to proclaim the gospel to today? And God will give you opportunities. It's amazing some of the opportunities that he's given me. I know that he'll do the same thing for you as well. So let's just pray. Father God, I thank you that the gospel message is so powerful. I thank you that it's so profound that it has the potential to change all of us, to move us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light so that one day we will be able to say, 
I'm here because the man on the middle cross sent me. He was the one who said I should come. That's why I'm here. I'm here because of him. And let's just spend a little bit of time in quiet. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful place that we're in here where this is being filmed. I'm sure that if you're in Zimbabwe, the weather's beautiful. Just spend a few moments, just, just spending time with God and, and just seeing how He wants you to respond to this. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this message. We commit ourselves to you and we pray for your blessing. And we know that you've done so much to bless us through the gospel. And we ask that we would be a blessing to others as we go out into the week. And we pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.